Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex for BTN, and this is probably the busiest time of year at BTN. I'm talking to you on Wednesday, November 6th, so this will probably come out November 7th. And we're two days removed from the tip-off of basketball season and right in the middle of a really interesting football season in the conference with the college football playoff rankings also coming out a couple days ago. Ohio State becoming the first Big Ten team to grab a number one spot, which is kind of hard to believe, but it's true. Uh, When they won it a few years ago in 2014, they were not the number one team in the rankings. And Penn State coming in behind them at number four. So two Big Ten teams right now in the top four of the college football playoff with basketball season starting on top of that. Uh, There's a lot going on, and there's a lot to talk about here on the Take 10 podcast. So we try and cover both football and basketball on this show today with definitely a basketball lean due to the nature of the guests that we were able to grab this week. Um, definitely an exciting guest for someone like me and hopefully for uh, a lot of you out there listening because the name uh, of the guy we got is very synonymous with college basketball in 2019-2020. And that is Ken Pomeroy. So if you've ever heard of the Ken Palm rankings or if you go to KenPom.com, Ken Pomeroy is the guy behind those rankings, and uh, he jumped on the show to talk about his background and how he kind of built this site to be, you know, one of the the Bibles of college basketball metrics, and also he uh, got into the weeds a little bit about how his metrics work, how the algorithm works, and uh, the process behind those Ken Palm rankings that are so often referenced now when talking college basketball. So... Really cool discussion with him, uh, awesome guy, and, and really good of him to take some time to jump on the show during what I'm sure is a busy, busy time of year for him. So, Ken Pomeroy's coming right up after that. We get our football talk in with Harold Shelton, a little basketball talk with Harold as well, but mostly football, uh, with a big weekend of college football and Big Ten football coming up with uh, 8-0 Minnesota taking on 8-0 Penn State. We've got a big matchup in the West with Iowa and Wisconsin as well. So plenty to talk about with our BTN researcher, Harold Shelton, and two guys with great analytical minds and, um, you know, a lot of stats-heavy discussion, especially with Ken, and as always with Harold, as we do every week in our uh, stat head segment with him. So we will get to the first interview, Ken Pomeroy, KenPom.com. He talks us through the methods behind the madness. And we'll get to him right now. It's Ken Pomeroy of The Athletic and KenPom.com. I'm very pleased to be joined by the man behind the name that has become synonymous with advanced analytics in college basketball circles. He writes for The Athletic and operates the highly popular KenPom.com. It's Ken Pomeroy. Ken, thanks so much for joining me. Hey, Alex. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, really cool uh cool opportunity for me because I'm a big fan of the site and avid follower and subscriber so I encourage everyone to do the same and just like from my perspective you've kind of been this mysterious figure in the in the few years that I've been really following your site and um, you know as a big college basketball follower and fan um, it's been just interesting to, to kind of get more into the weeds as I've gone along the last few years and, and browse around KenPom.com so out of personal curiosity What's your full-time gig? Is this it? Is like, how do you kind of balance it? Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, it is a full-time gig now. Um, it always, obviously wasn't always that way. Uh, you know, I, I was a meteorologist for the government for about a dozen years. And most of that time I was also running the site kind of as a hobby. Uh, just kind of curious about, uh, you know, what the numbers would say about, about college basketball. I was loved Love math, love college basketball. So it was kind of a, you know, a, a combination that, that worked out pretty well for me. And uh, basically, all started, you know, roughly 15 years ago or so, when the, kind of the, the, you know, the analytical talk was really ramping up in baseball. You know, Moneyball came out. Um, and just seeing that stuff, seeing the objective kind of analysis of baseball, really was interesting to me. Even though I didn't really care about baseball that much, and uh, you know, I wanted to do something like that for college basketball. So uh, just kind of dove in and started the site. And mostly it was just, like I said, a, a hobby and just kind of a personal endeavor and, and didn't have much following early. But uh, obviously eventually it, it got some people's attention and started to grow. And uh, I was able to, to leave my job behind and, and do this full time now. Yes, yeah, so I read you have a degree in engineering. Um, 
mentioned you're a meteorologist. How does that crossover happen besides, you know, just being a college basketball fan? Like, when did you decide to really go for it? Yeah, I mean, I, I, the crossover, I, you know, I, it just kind of happened ultimately. I mean, I really, uh, I really enjoyed meteorology. Uh, you know, it's kind of, I like predicting things. I mean, that's, that's really where the, the common uh, trait is between meteorology and, and what I do now. Uh, but meteorology is like the, the ultimate prediction game where you're, uh, you know, predicting something that, you know, doesn't have any officials or anything. You're just trying to predict like the laws of physics pretty much. And, uh, and so, uh, and it also like affects, you know, everybody, whether they know it or not, like at some point, a weather forecast is going to be important to somebody. So, um, so, you know, meteorology is just such a rush, but I mean, ultimately the, the site, you know, grew to the point where, you know, it, it, I'll tell you what really helped was when, you know, Butler basically went to back-to-back national title games and Brad Stevens mentioned that, you know, he'd use my site like that, you know, gave me a lot of credibility. And so, um, you know, at that point, it seemed like a a great time to try to, you know, go to the subscription model and charge people um, money to see the site. And, uh, and that went well. And, and, you know, it just became obvious at that point that I should uh, be doing this full time. So for those who might not be familiar and, and maybe more used to traditional basketball, analytics and for my personal purposes as well like I I always kind of need to knock the cobwebs off early in the season as I you know transition from football season to basketball and kind of get back to speed with how you or how to interpret your metrics and how to interpret your site can you kind of just describe some of the tentpole metrics and essentially which stats you decide to kind of put front and center and why yeah for sure I mean I think the you know the one thing that was really unique about my system uh, early on was that I, I had both an offensive and defensive rating so you know you have a lot of power ratings out there that um, you know like the Jeff Sagren style ratings which I mean I, I love Jeff Sager and he was really my inspiration growing up um, but you know he just has that one kind of rating for the team but um, I have an offensive and defensive rating which is based on the concept of um, points per possession scored or points per possession allowed so it's really looking at how effective a team is on the possession level and not on a game level where, you know, the numbers get influenced by kind of the pace that a team plays at. Um, so the other two kind of standards are adjusted offense, uh, and adjusted defense. And it's basically just on the offensive side, the points, the team scores per hundred possessions adjusted for the quality of defense they play. So, you know, if you beat up on a bad team, you know, you get kind of your raw numbers get kind of dinged for that. If you, you know, play a, a really tough team, like your numbers get, uh, bumped up a little bit. Um, the raw numbers get bumped up a little bit. So, uh, yeah, so those are the two standards and, uh, you know, it just kind of gives you a very high level look. And obviously, you know, if you're a subscriber to the site, you can drill down and click on a team and see kind of the underlying stats behind the offense and defense. But, uh, for, you know, really good first rough estimate on how good a team is on both sides of the ball. Uh, those are the two numbers to use. So why is it important to kind of put, uh, these terms like tempo and pace and efficiency in context, especially in a sport like college basketball, where there are 350 teams and there is potentially so much variance. Yeah, no question. Um, yeah, so I mean, the reason to kind of consider tempo is that obviously, you know, basketball is a game where if you play at a fast pace, uh, you're gonna have a lot of possession of the game, and you know, once you score, your your opponent has to get the ball, so your opponent will have a lot of possessions as well. So, you know, at any given time, if you look at the leaders in a conference or or nationally in terms of the points scored, the points they score per game. You look at the points they allow per game, and, and that's also going to be pretty high. Like nobody who's like top twenty in the country in points scored per game is, you know, like top fifty in the country in points allowed per game. Like it's just impossible to do. And so, um, so it's not, you know, it's just kind of a biased look. It's not really, you're not really looking at what you want to look at when you're when you're looking at those stats. You know, you're not, when you look at scoring offense, it's not really how good an offense a team has. It's some like murky combination of how good the offense is. Uh, multiplied by how fast the team plays at. And so, um, you know, so when, when you look at, like, I, I just think the philosophy behind advanced stats is just to try to, like, come up with the fairest stats possible. You know, you want you want the stat that focuses on the skill that you uh, want to examine. And so, you know, when you're looking at the team's offense, for, exist, for example, you, uh, you know, you want to look at the points they score per possession. That's why um, it's so crucial to look at it that way. Sure, and, you know, the, the... – Metrics that pop up on the message boards are the number next to the name, like the rankings, pretty much like you would look at a top 25. Like you said, you can get into the weeds if you want and really dive in, but um, those rankings, one through 350 or whatever it is, is what everyone kind of looks at. So when determining those rankings, is it your algorithm that is, is set that just kind of gets taken over and, and runs with it um, on the site? Like you're not really updating the site, are you, on a, on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis? Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's actually like a – 
you know, the story of, of the site itself was kind of the evolution. Like when I, you know, first started uh, computing this data in 2004, I mean, it was, you know, there's obviously some automation involved uh, back then, but there was a lot of button pressing as well. And I really only updated it like once a week. And then as time went on, I started updating it daily. And then, you know, now it basically gets updated, you know, more or less live when a, a new box score comes into the system, the the ratings are adjusted to reflect that. So yeah, the, yeah, the code is mostly automated. The first the first day of the season is a little hairy because there's always some new features I've added. And uh, when you get live data with those new features, sometimes there's a few bugs and it, it requires some manual intervention initially. But once the season gets rolling, yeah, it's a you know, pretty streamlined operation. So as the site's gotten more mainstream, you've gotten a bigger following, has there been a increase in coaches contacting you or maybe you know with gambling taking off in the United States? Uh, people in that field reached out to you at all and have you gotten to those waters at all yeah i mean all, all of the above uh so definitely i you know get to to uh, interact with more coaches more coaches uh have questions about about the site especially now that it's included in uh the information that the selection committee gets like that's obviously brought some more attention to it um but uh yeah so you know it, mostly in the off season i'd say it's been my when i interact with coaches um, and then the gambling side of things, yeah, certainly there are people who are interested in my numbers for that reason as well. You know, especially with the proliferation now of kind of the daily fantasy stuff and and uh, the contests involving uh, college games, which I only assume are out there based on the, the questions I've gotten early this season because people are really interested in the, the player stats this year. So, um, so yeah, I mean, all those people are kind of interested in my work uh, at, at you know to various degrees. So kind of on the coach's side of things, you know, out of curiosity, what do you think the importance is in this era of college basketball of college hoops staffs, you know, employing people who understand these metrics and can apply them? And would you say everyone or most everyone's caught up at this point or is there, is there still a ways to go? Yeah, so I think that with the you – know, certainly at least if you look at the data on my site, you know, just it gives you a just a high-level understanding of – uh, your team or your opponents, you know, on a player and team level, um, which really just allows you to kind of take shortcuts when it comes to, you know, breaking down film or kind of figuring out how you want to attack a team. Obviously, you're not going to do that just based on the numbers on my site. You're going to look at film eventually. Um, but it does kind of save you some time in that respect. So, um, uh, you know, as far as, you know, team, you know, how advanced all the teams are, that, you know, that obviously varies. There's some, you know, head coaches who will certainly tell you that, you know, they don't look at advanced stats at all, but even for those coaches, like there's almost surely somebody on the staff that is into it, and somehow that information is making its way into the game plan. You know, whether it's um, obvious or not. So at this point, everybody uses it to some degree. It's just a matter of kind of keeping up with the competition. Like not using it would set you back, I guess. You know more than any like special way of using it will get you ahead if that makes sense but you do kind of have to use it just to you know avoid i guess making like kind of dumb mistakes that other programs are are not going to make now that you know this is kind of out there for everyone to use sure and from a personal standpoint um how are you consuming these games like is there a ken palm cave you you dive into at night how does this work (laughs) uh yeah, it's you know I don't think I'm any different than the typical you know fan slash super fan. Like uh, I, I watch a, a lot of games, but I do try to kind of focus on maybe one or two games a night, or you know if it's a Saturday, you know maybe two or three games. You know I try not to just randomly flip around. I try to try to watch something and and learn something from it and sit on a game for a, a few minutes. Um, or longer. So, uh, so yeah, I, I, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there that watch more games than I do. And there's certainly a lot of people out there that kind of study and break down like what teams are doing more than I do when they do watch a game. But, uh, you know, I got into this because I love college basketball. And before I was doing this, I watched a ton of games. So it, it only makes sense now to uh, uh, just kind of keep doing that. I really, you know, it's one of those things where it doesn't seem like work because it's something I've always done. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm watching a lot of college basketball, that's for sure. Do you have a team or a conference that you're partial to? Well, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, you know, I, I uh, got my undergraduate degree at Virginia Tech and my grad degree at Wyoming. So, I mean, those are the two teams I follow uh, the closest. Um, 
And then, you know, once the season gets going, I mean, there could be another team or two or three that I get really interested in just based on, on the numbers, you know, either they're ranked high in my system and, and people nationally are not kind of well invested in them. I mean, that was, you know, Purdue was a great example of that last year, early in the season where, you know, they lost some, some games early and, you know, power ratings generally had, had them still pretty high. And so they were kind of a team to really watch closely. And so there's cases like that every year that I'm interested in. And then, um, I live in Salt Lake city, so I live kind of, you know, in the mountain time zone. So I'm often up kind of late at night, uh, later than the East coast people. And, um, typically you know, there's only games from like the PAC 12 or the West coast conference on. So I, I end up watching a lot of those games as well. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up Purdue. It's a nice uh, transition into some current college basketball season discussion. And let's just start off with them because you mentioned how, you know, you're, your uh, system, like Purdue last year, and uh, it kind of paid off. You know, you know, they obviously almost made the Final Four. And once again this year, they are higher in your system than the voters and probably the rest of the country has them. I believe uh, they're at seven when I checked KenPom.com earlier today. Um, so what is it about Purdue that your system likes, even though they lost a guy like Carson Edwards and, and uh, a lot of production? Yeah, so, you know, the one thing, like, I think typically if you see a team that's ranked higher than you expect in my system, you can usually fall back on, you know, what have they done recently? Like, that's a major, major factor in the system. It's looking at, it's, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it, but mostly it's like, hey, what have you done recently? And then, you know, who are you bringing back? Do you have transfers coming in? Do you have red shirts that have played before that are uh, playing again? Something like that. And, you know, Purdue is really kind of pegs the kind of recent history. Um, you know, they were ninth in my system last year. They're fifth the year before, 19th the year before that. Um, so you average those out and you'd say, well, maybe they're like an average of 11th or 12th. But actually, like, comparing that to the rest of the country, that's probably like, I don't know, something like the fourth or fifth best uh, recent history. So, you know, it's almost like the starting point is the system assumes, okay, you know, you didn't, you're not bringing in necessarily a, you know, heralded recruiting class and obviously you lose Carson Edwards and that's a, a lot of production to lose but you know that you do bring a few guys back and then the system assumes that the players it doesn't know about are kind of typical of uh, you know the fourth or fifth best team they're not they're obviously not top 100 recruits but they're guys who um, you know there's a pretty solid like culture and basis there to, to have a good program so you know Purdue may well be, be a bit overrated um, in my system but there's certainly I feel like you know, it seemed that, you know, the, based on the recent track record, you obviously uh, have to respect what, what Matt Painter is able to do with, you know, not getting basically five-star recruits. Like, he's able to put, like, really good teams out there. And so chances are, like, this team is, you know, going to be really good again, even though it might not have the, the star power that it had at the end of last year. Yeah, I would not be surprised if uh, there are a lot of Purdue basketball fans out there who are also big Ken Palm fans. Uh, I'm sure, you know, your, your ranking system elevates them to – what they probably see their program as, and rightfully so, with, like you said, how they've performed, especially in the last uh, five, six years under Matt Painter and overall. So Purdue fans listening, um, you know, I'm sure they <laughs> – I'll, I'll give you give you a thanks through them. Um, moving on to – we'll get into some more Big Ten team-specific stuff in a second, but I wanted to touch on first just heading into a new season with the tipping off Tuesday night and uh, a new rule that – I'm sure fans notice if they watched, and, and a rule that you wrote about, and that's the three-point line being moved back uh, to the international distance. And it was actually funny because I was watching the Wisconsin-St. Mary's game a little bit, uh, and it was at that Sanford Pentagon in South Dakota, and there were literally oh, like yeah. there were four three-point lines <laughs> on the court, and I'm like, wait, which one are they supposed to be shooting from here? Uh, but yeah, you wrote an article about for The Athletic about how it might affect the game this year. So... Can you summarize that a little bit? What might we expect to see with the first distance adjustment for that three-point line in uh, 10 years or so? Yeah, yeah. You know, my approach was basically to take a look at, you know, what happened the last time the line was moved back in 2009. And, you know, I mean, not surprisingly, like, uh, it's kind of obvious, but, you know, percentage, three-point percentage went down a little bit that season. Uh, Attempts went down a little bit. And, you know, you're probably going to see the same thing with that again. You know, the other angle I took was – you know, what kind of players are going to be affected because, you know, some of the discussions I've had with coaches and media in the off season, you know, that what's come up is that, you know, basically it's going to be the guys who didn't shoot very much last year, kind of your bigs. I mean, I, I, you know, it's a great theory. Like I 
buy into it too. Like your bigs who you only took one or two a game and were kind of stretching their range last year. Like maybe they struggle with it a little bit more this year. And you know, when you look back in 2009, there's a little bit of truth to that. Like the people who, uh, who didn't shoot very much the year before and came back, you know, their uh, percentage wasn't imp- uh, affected a little bit more than the guys who took a, a high volume of, of three point shots the year before. So there's a little bit of truth to that, but it was kind of interesting to me that like most, you know, almost every player gets affected somehow. And even if they're a really high volume shooter, like uh, their percentage, um, you know, gets dinged a little bit going to the, the more distant line. So uh, just about everybody will get affected in some way. And just looking, you know, looking at the numbers from the first night, uh, you know, team shot 31.7% on threes, which, uh, you know, last year they were 34.4. So um, that, that number will improve. Like teams typically do not shoot well early in the season, but you can already sort of see that uh, there will be a little bit of influence this year from the new line. Yeah, definitely something to keep an eye on. And as a viewer, uh, we're going to have to figure out which line we're looking at here because it was, like I said, the <laughs> Pentagon needs to figure it out. We got another Big Ten game there, I think, on Saturday, so it's going to be fun to watch. Um, I want to get into some specific player discussion because the Big Ten does have a potential player of the year nationally in Cassius Winston. Um, and aside from your team rankings, you also have player of the year rankings on your website. So what are the parameters of those rankings and kind of how did you arrive at that formula? Yeah. So I came up with this, uh, I don't know when it was six or seven years ago, really when I kind of started to do the preseason ratings, you know, I had to put a value on players and, you know, for the purposes of determining hey, who came back and who didn't. And you really just can't use like percent of minutes, you know, you need to have some way to establish how valuable are those minutes. And so I, I came up with this formula, which actually I've sensed like kind of, moved away from in my preseason ratings, but uh, I did have this formula for establishing player value, basically. So the player of the year is like the value relative to your team and then how good your team is. Those are the two components more or less, which I think is sort of how people in the media kind of think of player of the year as well. But, um, but yeah, that was the formula and it, you know, it, it, it does a pretty decent job. Like I was just looking at, you know, the, the top four uh, after, you know, the first night of play and right now it's, Tyrese Maxey from Kentucky, Cassius Winston, Marcus Howard, Marquette, Jordan Mora of Louisville. And that's after one game. And, like, those four guys are uh, – certainly Maxey is, is a surprise, obviously. Um, but I don't think he'll be a surprise any longer. And the other three guys are on, you know, All-American lists all over the place in the offseason. So uh, you get a really quick and early indication of, you know, kind of the player of the year race using this formula. Yeah, Tyrese Maxey uh, went off, obviously, against Michigan State. I don't think he'll be coming off the bench much longer. For <laughs> no. Uh, and kind of keeping on that player theme, I have a, a theory that I've been working on for a couple of years now with absolutely zero quantitative analysis to back it up, so I want to get your thoughts. Um, but I was thinking about why the Big Ten hasn't won a national championship since 2000, if there's any one thing or one or two things to pin down as to why that might be. And I think it's just because they tend to have top, less top-end talent when they get to a national championship game across from like a Duke or a Carolina or Kentucky, because Big Ten has no problem getting teams to the national championship game. They just can't win it. So do you think there's any validity to that without, you know, actually looking into it up to this point? Yeah, it's a great question. I, uh, so I was just looking at the history that I have, which goes back to 1997, and every year except one, which was 2017, the Big Ten has had a team finish in my top ten. And it looks like most of those years have had a team in the top five. So it, so, so I think, you know, they've obviously had top-end teams. They might not have maybe the number of top-end teams that the ACC has or, or the Big 12 has. Um, it, that is a maybe a plausible working theory we can go with. I think the other thing is that, you know, there's only, what, there's only been, you know, 19 teams that won a national title since, since Michigan State last did it. So, uh there aren't many opportunities to win national titles, just period. And uh, there's probably, you know, I, the old fallback, but there's just a little bit of like randomness and, and bad luck. I mean, you know, who knows what happens to Purdue last year if, uh, you know, they don't run into a miracle scenario at the end of regulation against Virginia. Like, we'll, we'll never know what happens. But obviously, that was some, some pretty devastating luck to go against the Boilermakers there. So I, I think all those factors kind of come into play. But I would. I wouldn't necessarily – it's hard for me to understand, like, what – you know, there's some something particular to the Big Ten that is preventing them from winning national titles. Like, 
I would need to be I would need to be convinced a, a little bit more about that one. Yeah, it's it's it is a small sample size, like you said. It just, it just seems like a long time, I guess, from a fan's perspective. And as as someone who grew up going to uh, Illinois games when they were in the Final Four in in 2005 and seeing like North Carolina's six man be a lottery pick, you know that that's kind of I think where that theory was born. But uh, something to keep an eye on, I guess, is as we go along. Um, I want to ask another kind of wide thirty thousand foot question regarding the Big Ten. Um, you also do co- conference wide power rankings. And I think they rely on the uh, adjusted efficiency margin. And currently, the Big Ten is fourth behind the Big 12, Big East, and ACC. And last year, uh, I believe they finished second in those power rankings. So what do you, just heading into the season um, with only, obviously, one night behind us, what do you attribute the drop to relative to the other Power Five conferences uh, in the Big Ten? Yeah, you know, it's really going to be driven by, you know, who comes back, you know, basically conference-wide, you know, how much talent's coming back um, and, and recent, you know, recent success. So it's the same thing that, is, you know, the team ratings are, are based on. It, it is important to note that it's almost a dead heat between the ACC and the Big Ten for third and fourth. Like, the ACC is just fractionally ahead right now. And the Big East in second is really not even that far ahead of those two conferences. So... It's pretty close for second, third, and fourth, and there's obviously a lot of basketball, a lot of non-conference games to be played. Even though these conferences are increasingly expanding their conference schedule, so I guess what I would say about the conference ratings is they're going to be pretty good. Like obviously, the Big Ten is not going to drop to like 14th or something. Like they're going to be in the second through fifth range when the the seasons are maybe even first. Like it's possible they could be first. Um, but, uh, you know, in the beginning of the season, like all of these top conferences are pretty close. And I wouldn't I definitely wouldn't take the bank that the Big Ten is going to finish fourth. Like it, we got a lot to watch yet and uh, we'll see how things play out. But certainly, like, you know, if they ended up finishing first or second, it wouldn't shock me. If they ended up finishing fifth, it wouldn't shock me either. Yeah, the Big Ten kind of gets this reputation as being a slower paced conference, you know, maybe plotting basketball at times, a lot of fouls. Uh, do the numbers back that up? And does your uh, algorithm kind of reflect that? Yeah, in general, the Big Ten has been uh, consistently uh, slower than average basically for the entire time that I have data available. So, uh, you know, we're talking about basically comparing the possessions per game to, to what happens nationally. Um, last year, in conference play, uh, there were an average of 66.4 possessions per 40 minutes, um, which, you know, slightly slower than the national average of uh, 67.8. So, um, so I give you some flavor. There was definitely a time, like in the late, you know, in 2004 to 2010 time range. This is when, you know, I was starting up my site. People are familiar with John Gassaway was writing at the Big Ten Wonk. Uh, you know, we were commenting on, on you know, analytic stuff in basketball, and it was like the formative years for our opinions. And the Big Ten was super slow then. Like it was regularly, you know, the slowest conference in the country. But things have changed a little bit. You know, expansion, bringing in uh, new teams, certainly, you know. Teams like Maryland and, and Nebraska are, are, you know, not playing at a slow pace in general. Um, so uh, that's helped a little bit, but it's still overall, you know, the the tradition it lives on. It's still a, a slower than average league. Is there a cutoff or a baseline once you get kind of into the triple digits of your rankings, where a loss to a team, a bad loss, could really hurt come March? Like even just looking last night, uh, Michigan got a scare from Appalachian State. Illinois almost lost to Nichols State, and uh, eventually won in overtime so how much does like a bad Kempom loss potentially hurt come March and is there a cutoff for where you know I know the quadrants is kind of the system now that that the committee uses but but what, what would your I guess personal cutoff be using the eye test yeah I mean there's, I think there's two two ways to answer this I mean one is how how does a loss affect the team's you know tournament standing and uh, that's that's something that obviously I don't quite know the answer to and that would be a better address to a, a committee member if you're so fortunate to kind of lure them on your show <laughs> uh, but as far as my system i you know it, it's not too concerned about the outcome of the game as much like illinois you know they they dropped eight spots for that that overtime game against nickel state like it's really you know focused on your performance and uh, not necessarily the outcome so if you play poorly uh against a bad team you know you will be punished for that and likewise if you play uh well against a good team um you won't be hit too hard by that like you know obviously michigan state fans probably don't feel like their team played well against kentucky but just by virtue of playing kentucky you know michigan state's not going to get hurt too much for that loss so 
Um, so that's kind of, you know, that's how the system works. There's no real cutoff. It's, uh, you know, the system's dynamic in the sense that it knows the difference between the 120th best team and the 180th best team. And, and it can distinguish between, you know, how, how good a, a five point win against either of those teams uh, should be treated going forward. Yeah, I'm definitely conflating my message board consumption with my Ken Palm consumption right now because, like, you'll always see people saying, well, we have this sub, you know, 200 Ken Palm loss. Uh, uh, our team is out right now. It's just, it, it's funny how these, you know, worlds kind of mix. I'm glad you can kind of put an analytical mind to it and, uh, you know, just put it in perspective. Um, one or two more questions for you, Ken, before I let you go. Just curious, you know, aside from Michigan State, who is preseason number one and, and a – pick to win the conference by pretty much everybody who do you have in the big 10 that could potentially challenge michigan state uh in the title race and then also potentially reach a final four yeah right i mean we, we talked about purdue and how they're going to be an interesting team to follow because you know, the, the preseason ratings you know in mine the other systems are, are pretty pretty high on them um you know ohio state is uh another team that you know i have them basically third in the conference 12th overall uh you know, they're a team that uh, is pretty interesting as well. And uh, obviously Chris Holtman uh, appears to be building something there. Chris Holtman is one of those coaches, by the way, I have kind of this like long relationship with. He was like an early adopter. And I, you know, remember talking to him back when he was at Gardner Webb. So, uh, so I got, you know, kind of uh, personally rooting for him, but uh, you got know, a, obviously, lot of, uh, a lot of Butler roots. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah. No question. I mean, the, the Butler, uh, the Butler coaching tree is is strong, um, and the Thad Mata coaching tree, like those two guys, you know, you go, go from Butler and, and and people who knew Thad Mata. Thad Mata was not into analytics, but anyone around him seemed to end up being an analytics. So, uh, so at any rate, yeah, like I think Ohio State is kind of that intriguing team. I know a lot of people are talking about Maryland as well, and they're just not quite as high in my system as they are in the preseason ratings. But you know, obviously, a lot of a lot of talent coming back for both of those teams. Maryland having to replace Bruno Fernando is a little bit of a a concern, but. Um, you know, I think you know it would would not shock me either one of those teams kind of emerges and, and ends up being a you know top ten team for most of the season. All right, Ken. Last question, not really basketball related, but uh, kind of just a personal curiosity. Just wondering if it's kind of surreal to you that your rankings have kind of become the de facto you know bible on college basketball. Do you ever like sit back and kind of think, wow, this is kind of kind of cool what I've built here? <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty cool, you know, especially, like, on opening night. There's just, like, uh, you know, just the off season. you know, nobody really cares about what I do, which is fine. Like, I'm not, <laughs> not demanding 12-month-a-year attention. But, yeah, when things start ramping up on opening night and people get kind of excited for college basketball and they start mentioning how they're, you know, signing up to my site again or, or looking at the site or whatever, like, uh, you know, that's definitely a rush. Like, I never uh, anticipated any of this happening. And so it's, uh, it's definitely uh, pretty cool to see it all unfold. I wonder what percentage of your readers or followers, like to the site, know that you're a person. Like, if some people just think it's like a, a computer doing this. Yeah, they either think it's a uh, yeah a computer. They think it's like some sort of big operation where it's <laughs> you know I have to have some sort of corporation or something, or they think my name is actually Ken Palm and not Ken Pomeroy. That has happened quite a bit as well. <laughs> All right, well, Ken Pomeroy, I'll try and get the the message and the word out through this podcast. And uh, really cool stuff. Like I said at the top, it's. Interesting to me is someone who has kind of got more and more each year involved in the weeds with uh, with your site. It's been a lot of fun to talk to you. Really appreciate you taking some time during a really busy time of year. And enjoy the college basketball season. It's the best time of year, in my opinion. Yeah, will do. I, I definitely will enjoy it. Thanks for having me on, Alex. I appreciate it. All right, thanks once again to Ken for joining me. Really cool kind of inside baseball, or I guess technically inside basketball look there at uh, how his site came to be, how he kind of maintains it, runs it, and the metrics behind, you know, what the what the rankings, what the numbers next to the names mean. So I, I highly suggest uh, paying the 20 bucks to subscribe to his site. There really isn't a better value out there. I mean, for all the information you get, the site as a big college basketball follower that I check pretty much every day during the season, uh, really great service. And Definitely check out his work on The Athletic and on KenPom.com. All right, moving from one analytical mind to another, we'll bring in Harold Shelton for our weekly stat hit segment. Harold is our researcher here at Big Ten Network, and if you've not heard this segment before, try to do it once a week to stay up to speed on everything college football, college basketball, 
and uh, kind of go behind the numbers as our researcher Harold has stats for days and he shares them with us and kind of puts these seasons and teams in context. So we'll kick it over to Harold now. It's the stat head segment and we'll get right into it. All right, we're back in the lab with Harold Shelton for our stat head segment. H, we're in the uh, meat grinder now of November with basketball starting Tuesday night. Yes, we are. College football playoff rankings coming out at halftime of, or, or between games of the Champions Classic of college basketball tip-off. Is that night the worst night of the year for you? Is it the best night of the year? How do you look at it? What kind of perspective do you take? Um, I like having college basketball back. Um, but normally it doesn't seem like there's as many games as we had last night. I mean, in addition to Michigan State playing and then being one versus two, I mean, we had eight other Big Ten teams in action. Right. Uh, and then it was the first release of the playoff rankings. Usually, you know, we already have one by this point. Uh, so just the fact that it was the very first one, plus one versus two, plus, you know, the eight other games with Juwan Howard's debut being one of them. On top of Ohio State being somewhat surprising number one in yeah. the rankings, like it just kind of was a, a whirlwind kind of night. It did seem like a big convergence of events. I didn't really think about that until we're on the other side of it now. I, I forgot that usually it's the second rank, not the first. Right. But yeah, big news, um, you know, in our neck of the woods over here, especially with the rankings, including two Big Ten teams, uh, including the number one team, Ohio State Buckeyes. And, and um, we talked about it a little bit before off air, but it's a significant release for several reasons um so i was hoping we could dive in a little bit and just let the folks know you know the historical significance going back to the first playoff rankings 2014 and, and what it means for the big 10 to get two teams in uh, somewhat surprisingly in the top four yeah i was curious to see if uh we were going to get ohio state either at one or two i didn't think they'd be three uh, but the fact that they are one is significant. It's the first time a Big Ten team has ever been number one in the CFP. Uh, it's the first time since 2016 that a Big Ten team's even been in the top two. Uh, so the fact that they've got the number one team is significant. Uh, Penn State being in the top four, also uh, good to see. I thought that they would be behind. I thought they would be five uh, behind Alabama and Clemson. I'm glad the committee decided. Uh, to actually look at what happened on the field instead of saying, oh, well, I think this team is better. They actually went with the team with the resume. Uh, I actually have more issues with that. But um, the fact that you have, you know, two Big Ten teams in the top four for the first time since 2016, the fact that we've seen, you know, multiple conferences with multiple teams in the top four for the first time ever is pretty significant. The fact that it's a pretty, it's pretty much an SEC Big Ten uh, rankings, you know, they've got 11 of the teams in the top 25, and two in the they each have two in the mm-hmm. top four. So it was it was pretty heavy for those two conferences, and then they've been the best two all year. So that's not too big of a surprise. Yeah. So outside of Penn State and Ohio State, uh, there were four other teams in the Big Ten in the rankings, and I know you have some thoughts on you know where where some of them fall, especially with the big matchup we have coming up this weekend that has potential to shift those rankings quite a bit, with Minnesota and Penn State both squaring off at Eight and no. So, do you think Minnesota? Uh, I believe they're at seventeen. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Is that uh, an accurate reflection of where you think they should sit right now? I know they haven't played a uh, top fifty team or so yet. Uh, that would probably be the argument against them being high. But again, you could make that argument for some other teams that are ahead of them. Many of which include uh, teams that have lost games. So, what do you think about Minnesota being where they're at? And do you think it will? Um, you know, resolve itself kind of as things shake out here? Um, I thought the committee was very inconsistent with how they rank teams. Um, you know, Minnesota obviously being one of them, and the fact that they're 17 behind six two-loss teams mm-hmm. and four other one-loss teams I thought was really, really surprising. Um, the fact that, you know, the fact that they're behind Wisconsin, a Wisconsin team that lost to Illinois, the same Illinois team that Minnesota beat by 23. The fact that Minnesota has two loss has zero losses while Wisconsin has two. I mean that seems like a very easy flip there. Right. I get if you don't want to have them in the top ten because of the whole argument of oh they haven't played anybody. But it seems like the committee does this selective thing where, you know, they want to value eye tests for the teams that are supposed to be good. Like Alabama and the Clemsons and Oklahoma's, 
if you look, five of the top nine don't have a, a win against a team that's ranked in the top 25 right now. And so the fact that, you know, those teams are ranked where they are despite the fact that they don't have any wins, you know, they want to go eye test there. Minnesota's won four straight games by 20-plus points, and it's all well, the teams that they played, you know, in the Big Ten, their combined records are, you know, 17 and 28. But, again, people are trying to find reasons why Minnesota isn't good, and I feel like that's kind of been the theme for the last month. Right. It does seem like some name-brand bias going on, and I agree that the committee seems to pick and choose where they want to apply the eye test and where they want to count losses against teams and, and so on and so forth. That's the same thing with Penn State. I yeah. mean, the argument that they used to have Penn State for uh, is that, you know, again, they've played the teams. You know, they play good teams and they have good wins, but they're still behind Bama because of eye test. If you're behind Bama, then they should be behind Clemson because they're basically the same. They don't have any good wins. Their mm-hmm. best win is Texas A&M for both of them. They don't have any ranked wins at all. If if you're going by eye test, those two teams are probably better eye test wise than Penn State. Penn State has a better resume than both of them. So Penn State should either be three behind Ohio State and LSU, or they should be five behind Clemson and Alabama. The fact that they split the difference doesn't really make sense at all. Yeah, and we should get some clarity this weekend on, you know, if Minnesota belongs closer to, to where you think they should and, and you know, I'm sure they would you know, crack the top ten uh, with a win over Penn State. Or, you know, Penn State can solidify that top four standing with a, a uh, win at Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, the fact that Minnesota, they've got three ranked teams coming up. You know, their only team in the top 20 right. has got three ranked opponents remaining in the regular season. So, you know, in addition to the Penn State game, they still go to Iowa. They host Wisconsin at the end of the year. So they got a chance to prove a lot of doubters wrong. All right, so we will get into this upcoming weekend's games I don't want to completely gloss over uh, this past weekend's games, though, uh, even though there were only four games, eight teams in action, and not a whole lot of marquee matchups. Just wanted to get your thoughts on anything that jumped out at you this past weekend before we move on to a big weekend ahead. Um, and I know there was a close finish with Purdue and Nebraska. Indiana keeps rolling. Um, Illinois keeps rolling. There, there were some notable outcomes. What jumped out at you? Uh Definitely want to show some love to Indiana. You know, the fact that they're 7-2 and two and now they're talking about bowl positioning as opposed mm-hmm. to just trying to make a bowl. You know, the fact that they could potentially win eight or nine games and have a really, really special season. Uh, I think that says a lot. Uh, the f- it's so- sorry to hear about Michael Penix. He's out for the year. So yeah. it was definitely Peyton Ramsey's job uh, going forward. Uh, so i definitely sorry to hear that. But definitely wanted to show Indiana some love for the season they've been having. Uh, nice bounce back from Illinois. A little shaky first half. Tied at 10 against Rutgers. You're like, oh, boy. And the stadium then, sounded kind of nervous on yeah, TV. Yeah, exactly. You know, they're up 10 nothing. And Rutgers scores the next 10. And, like, dude, you can't lose this game. They go ahead and run away and continue their momentum. Uh, but the, the biggest takeaway for me is Nebraska. I mean, this is a team that was supposed to be, you know, they were the, the, the pick to win the West by a lot of the conference media before the season. Uh, you know, everybody's expecting a year two jump from Scott Frost because he did something similar at UCF. Uh, they were a four and two football team with a close loss at Colorado, who we now know isn't very good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a loss to Ohio State, but Ohio State's killed everybody, so you didn't really think too much of that. Sure. But, you know, the fact that they've now lost three straight, you know, they're four and five on the year. They've had, you know, issues on both sides of the ball. It looks like they definitely regressed. And they've still got games with Iowa and Wisconsin. Um, In addition to a game in Maryland, you got to win two of those to make a bowl. Like the fact that they could be, you know, without a bowl in both years under Scott Frost, I don't think people saw that coming at all. No, definitely not. Um, And yeah, it'll be interesting to see if you know they can kind of resurgence like they had at the end of last year. Uh, Yeah, a lot of things that that need to get fixed, and and it's going to be fascinating to follow. You know. You know, even if the fans are discouraged, they will not unplug from that situation. Um, they'll stay invested for sure. Uh, Michigan kept rolling, went over Maryland. They're kind of quietly maybe putting together a really good second half of the season. they got a bye week now coming up, kind of recharge a little bit. I just feel like it's one of those things where you know, they didn't fall off the radar because they had this, such a marquee win against Notre Dame, but I could totally see it leading up to the Ohio State game in the final week of the regular season um, You know, and, and Michigan – all of a sudden we look up and they've won the last, you know, four or five games by 
by double digits, and it's like, oh, like you know, Ohio State might have a challenge there. So. Yeah, they're kicking themselves for their first half of the Penn State game. Right. If they find a way to win that game, I mean, they might have been sixth in the playoff rank because this mm-hmm. week would only have lost to Wisconsin and to have, you know, three wins against the top twenty with with Iowa, Notre Dame, and Penn State, like. I mean, that's a real missed opportunity when you look at it now. Right. I'm really looking forward to uh, Michigan and Indiana. That's going to be the one. Like, yeah. We keep saying it every, you know, if every few weeks. Get one of these, exactly. It's like that's that, that one, one should be hyped up. Uh, you know, it should be the biggest game at Indiana for quite a long time, regardless of what they do against Penn State next week. Um, should be fun. But I, I want to move on because uh, we got plenty to get to, including some hoops talk at the end that. We want people to stay tuned for uh, if, they, if they want some more basketball talk after the discussion with Ken Palm that we had earlier today. Uh, let's move it along to this upcoming week in football because it is a very big week. And let's take it right back to the Penn State-Minnesota matchup. Um, kind of what everyone has been waiting for uh, to see if Minnesota, you know, is – you know, we already know they're legit for sure, but if they really are going to make a run at this at the Big Ten title and beyond – um, this is where they have to, you know, make, take that first big step. And Penn State's coming in, uh, you know, obviously playoff positioning, high expectations, and a high-powered offense. What do you see with this game, and, and where do you see the advantages lying uh, split between the two teams? I mean, the stakes in this game are crazy uh, for both teams, really. I mean, obviously, if Penn State can get through this, um, you're setting up a ridiculous showdown at Columbus on the 23rd. I don't want to look o- overlook the Indiana game, but mm-hmm. it's at home. It's a game they should win. But, yeah, if you can get 10-0 and Penn State versus 10-0 and Ohio State, you know, loser that game, potentially still in the playoffs. I was going to say, yeah, like, I, I should have uh, asked your thoughts on that. If you know, Not to get too far ahead, like you said, but if Penn State or Ohio State you know, wins a one-point game like we've seen in the last couple of years, do you think the possibility is still out there for a two-bid league? Uh, I do. I mean, the fact that we kept talking about, oh, you know, the LSU-Alabama loser, if they, you know, if they have a close loss and that's their only loss, you know, could they still get in? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. I mean, Penn State's definitely got the resume. They've got the, the win over Michigan. they got the win at Iowa. They would add a win at Minnesota. So they would have a really, really nice resume. And if they lost a, a really close game to the number one team in the country, I don't know why they couldn't have the same argument as the LSU-Alabama loser. Do you think Minnesota will continue to put up the point totals we've been seeing uh, against the Penn State defense? I think they'll have to win in a different way. Um, Minnesota's defense has been kind of sneaky good. We've kind of talked more and more about, you know, the offense and the weapons they have at receiver and, you know, the weapons they have at running back. But, you know, they've got a really, really good player at each level of the defense. You know, Antoine Winfield's finally healthy. Yeah. And, like, you could see the difference that he's made. You know, he got past been, that Maryland game. Exactly. Year. He's been hurt the last two years in the Maryland game. He finally got past that. And you see the difference he's made. Kamal Martin's a player. You know, Carter Coughlin doing some good things. You know, they've had help from the transfers uh, with Micah Dutreway and, and Williamson from Florida. So, I mean, they've got, they've got some guys. Uh, it will be the first time that they're going to actually play a starting quarterback in a while. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they faced a lot of the, the Tyrell Pigrooms and the Johnny Langans and the Matt Robinsons. So they're actually going to face, you know, a big-time QB and Sean Clifford. But, I mean, to be honest, I mean, Penn State's offense hasn't been clicking the mm-hmm. last three weeks, uh, last three games, I should say. I mean, the most yards they've had in the last three games is 302. So, I mean, it's not like, you know, they're going to be, you know, flying all over the field and dropping 40, 50 points. I think this is a game that Minnesota can win. Yeah, I think you know, I referred to their offense as high-powered a couple minutes ago, but it's just the skill players they have that jump out to me, and I see these highlight plays, and I, I just think you know, they're the same Penn State offense that has had Saquon and Trace McSorley in the last couple of years, and, and they're still good. Um, but, yeah, they're going to have to, you know. It's big player bust. If you're exactly. Minnesota, you try to just keep everything in front of you, make them go the length of the field and see if they do it. And if they do, you tip your cap. There's going to be a lot of skill players oh, yeah. out there on, oh, yeah. uh, on Saturday on both sides. I mean, we haven't even talked really about Bateman and Johnson yet for, for Minnesota. You know, those those two will be on, playing on Sundays, I think, um, barring unforeseen circumstances. And then, you know, it looks like Minnesota's backfield is healthy too now, right? Yeah. yeah. Everybody's finally healthy. It should be – should be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. It's probably the biggest game at Minnesota, I think, since 1961. Wow. It was the last time they hosted an AP Top 15 matchup. Uh, and it's only the fourth 
8-0 versus 8-0 in the Big Ten uh, in the AP poll era. It's the first time it's not been Michigan-Ohio State. So, I mean, this is a huge, huge, huge game. Yeah, and it's always a little more special when, like you said, it's a school that is not used to this type of stage. Um, it just feels more unique, feels a little more special. Uh, the buzz kind of comes through the broadcast a little more, in my opinion, and it's good to see you know, just not the traditional powerhouses getting to have these types of experiences. So should be fun. Um, cannot overlook another key matchup in the West. It still has Indianapolis implications, Iowa and Wisconsin. Um, you know, can't really forget about either of these teams for sure. Iowa can really put themselves in a pretty nice position with a win. And uh, Wisconsin, you know, kind of wants to get their head back above water uh, and, and remain relevant this season. So uh, what do you think about this game with, with schools that will not or with styles will not be as flashy as a Penn State Minnesota game, but uh, you kind of know the formulas that these teams will try and roll out. Yeah, I mean it's a huge game here too because the loser of this game is pretty much out of the West race. Mm-hmm. Uh, the winner definitely uh, stays in it and has a chance, you know, to say something since they both play Minnesota later in the year. Both teams are absolutely rooting for Penn State to to win that right. game on Saturday because if that happens, the winner of that game will then control uh, the winner of the Iowa Wisconsin game will control their own destiny yep. since they both play Minnesota. So, uh, I I fully expect a, a low scoring seventeen to ten twenty to ten type of game. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked to see, you know. 11 guys in the box for Jonathan Taylor and see if Jack Cohn can beat him up top. Um, Nate Stanley has really, really struggled on the road against ranked teams. I think Wisconsin wins because I just don't trust Stanley on the road in a big spot with that the middle of that offensive line. I, I don't think they could stop that Wisconsin pass rush. All right. Uh, Ohio State, newly minted number one team. Should not have trouble with Maryland, even though Maryland it's hard to believe they almost beat them last year. They probably oh, yeah. should have won last year. Yeah, it's absolutely should have won yeah, last yeah. year. So I'm not really worried about the Buckeyes there. Um, excited to see what they can do once again. They're always just, I mean, they're, they're playing with television at this point. And uh, before we, you know, talk a little hoops, without, you know, glossing over Purdue Northwestern, Northwestern just is struggling offensively. Purdue seems to find their mojo and they don't have to play in a rainstorm and getting a lot of freshmen involved and kind of playing for the future. Um, they've looked good. With uh, you know David Bell, obviously he's kind of filled that Rondale Moore gap. I mean, they've got 16 straight touchdowns from freshmen. 16. Their last How 16 touchdowns have been scored by freshmen. They they lead the nation from scrimmage touchdowns and touchdowns responsible for by the freshmen. The fact that it's been Jack Plummer, you know, throwing these touchdowns, the fact that it's been David Bell or Payne Durham or, or King Doru on the receiving end. Mm-hmm. I mean, their future is really, really bright. All right. I was getting to it before I had to stop in Purdue there. Uh, Harold, we got a matchup that I don't think we've had since the podcast started. You're right. Illinois-Michigan right, State. The last game was 2016, mm-hmm. my alma mater versus your alma mater. Uh, it's funny, I was thinking back, like, to teams that Illinois seems to get the better of just at random times in football and basketball, and there aren't many in the last 10 years or so, but Michigan State's one of them. Uh, Illinois gives Michigan State trouble, especially in basketball. I think their their record is you know about 500 in the last decade or so, and then you know, just caught the Illinois caught Michigan State at a decent time for uh, the Illini's perspective in 2016 during that three and nine year. So. It looks like they might be catching them at another fortuitous time if you're an Illini fan, because Michigan State is you know going through some adversity right now. We got the Joe Bocci news last week. I believe Daryl Stewart is also out uh, coming up Saturday. Michigan State has uh, plenty of unknowns. They've struggled offensively, and they still have Maryland and Rutgers remaining on the schedule to not pencil them into a bowl game, but to at least have those st- waiting on the back end to hopefully, if you're a Spartans fan, get them to a bowl. So what do you think about these circumstances with Illinois winning three straight, dominating their last two games? That thing is kind of rolling in a direction that, you know, not many people thought uh, a few weeks ago. And, you know, now it's, it's going to be an interesting meeting just because these teams don't see each other all that often. So based on, uh, following up what you just said, because I agree with everything, uh, Despite the fact that Michigan State's lost three straight, 
They're going to be without their most productive defensive player, without their most productive offensive player. Illinois won three straight, riding high. What would you guess the the line would be in that game? The line, well, if I was setting the line, I, I would I would put it between, I'll put it at six and a half maybe, Michigan State. Uh, I saw it was at 13 and a half. Two touchdowns. Two touchdowns. Favorite. The most interesting part of that, though, is that I don't think Michigan State scored more than 10 points in how long? They've scored 17 points combined in the last three games. Right, so just using that logic, I mean, I know Illinois' defense is not on the level that the past three opponents have been, but you're assuming a whole lot that, that Michigan State is going to put up a, a total that uh, you know exceeds by far what they put up combined, like you said, the last three games. Yeah, like, again, this is the weirdest game of the week for me. I still don't understand that number at all. Um, but, I mean, there's a reason why those buildings get built out there. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not going to, you know, t- if – if I was a gambling guy, I wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole. But, um, you know, Illinois, I mean, they're feeling great. I mean, I know they haven't been as dominant defensively as the Wisconsin, Ohio State, Penn State uh, triumvirate that Michigan State just had to play. But they're leading the nation in takeaways. They're leading the nation in fumble recoveries. They're tied for the national lead with five defensive touchdowns. I mean, they're feeling really good about things. They're facing a wounded Michigan State team with Brian Lewerke, who has not been good the last two weeks. You know, obviously we talked about Daryl Stewart being out, starting center Matt Allen is out. Uh, you know, there's just a lot of question marks on this, this Michigan State team right now. Um, again, it's the first time they're actually playing an unranked team since September, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is the last time they won a game, period. You know, they've only scored one touchdown in the last ten quarters. Uh, but yeah, this is this is a weird one, and like you said, these teams haven't met. This is the few actually Illinois is the the least played opponent uh, under a Mark D'Antonio coach team. Interesting, like, right? more so like they played Rutgers, Nebraska, yeah. Maryland, all more than they played Illinois. So it's such a unique years. occasion. We have to put like a Jimmy John sandwich on or something sure. like that. First time in almost a decade <laughs> they played in East Lansing. Like, it's just crazy. Yeah, yeah, it is wild, and and um, it'll just it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I mean. As a alum, it's been honestly like, still shocking that they've been able to turn this around. Um, it's funny because stop me if you've heard this before, but a former NFL coach uh, is coming in, you know, with a maybe underdog team to East Lansing, and, and I think you know where I'm going with that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, Michigan State struggling with Arizona State in the last couple of years, and that's about where the similarities end, but. It, just one of those things that uh, you know should be an interesting watch on FS1 2:30 Saturday. Agreed. I literally have no idea what's going to happen in that one. All right. Well, we'll, we'll let the uh, listeners know next week the result of our bet and you know what that is. I, I think Jimmy John's is, is a good one. Yeah, we'll that's solid. Yeah, I'm good with that. All right, H. Let's talk some uh, hoops before we wrap up. Not necessarily a happier tone for you, but at least more optimistic. And uh, as a Spartans fan. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, Michigan State taking the floor last night, close loss to Kentucky in Champions Classic. It was one of those games, um, you know, where they couldn't really break through, shot pretty poorly from three. I think it was five of 26. And every time it looked like Michigan State was about to cut it to two or cut it to one possession game, they just couldn't hit an open shot. Uh, Tyrese Maxey on Kentucky was kind of the breakout star of that game, dropped, I think, 26 points for, for the Wildcats. What did you see out of the Spartans that either uh, concerns you or alleviates some deeper concerns as we uh, you know, get into the regular season here? I feel like I couldn't really judge them based off of the first half because they had so many weird lineups because of the foul trouble. You right. know what I mean? Tillman, Kithier, Watts, Winston, Malik Hall, like they all had two fouls. I mean, you had – I think there was a lineup at one point that didn't have – no, I'm sorry, Aaron Henry as well. I mean, they had probably four bench guys and like a minute, one minute of Cassius Winston out there at once. And, you know, that's when you, you think of, oh, preseason number one, like you're not thinking it's going to be, you know, Marcus Bingham and you know, Gabe Brown and three fouls of Willie sure. Hall and Julius Marble, you know. So the second half, I think, was a little bit more indicative of what we'll see. Um, when they were able to get out and run and get some easy buckets, you know, things – uh, certainly started to turn. You know, you saw how important Aaron Henry was, like when he was actually able to play. You know, he kind of was able to, you know, tip the balance on both ends. I actually think he's probably going to be their X factor all year long. Uh, if he plays well, they're going to win a lot of games. And when he has games where, 
you know, he gets in foul trouble or he disappears, I think they're going to struggle. Uh, Three-point shooting, I think, is going to be an issue the whole year. Miss Matt McQuaid, for sure. Definitely Miss Matt McQuaid. You know, Kenny Goins became a reliable three-point shooter, uh, which, you know, we didn't see coming to start the year. You know, with Josh Langford being out for who knows how long, I mean, just not really a knockdown shooter outside of Winston. And for the way they want to play, like, you know, threes is what they need. And they made a lot of them last year. If they don't have that, you know, ability. They don't have that pick and pop guy like Goins was last year. That could be a problem going forward. I think it was jitters for Rocket Watts first game. Probably. Uh, you know, I, I was definitely disappointed to see you know a guy that had a lot of hype coming in. You know, guy who's a you know a lethal scorer in high school. The fact that you know he didn't score at all, and the fact that you know he has some costly turnovers at key times was disappointing. I do think he'll be a pretty good defender. I uh, wasn't really expecting that much uh, on that end, but it looked like he you know, provided some value there, and it looks like he might actually be the backup point guard when things get tight. You know, Foster Lawyer played a brief stint in the first half, didn't really do much with it. And once Winston got that fourth foul, they went with Watts as the point guard, and they actually uh, outscored Kentucky when Winston was out. So, you know, it was definitely a, a mixed performance from him. Uh, but there were some some positive signs too. And jokes aside, you got to be used to losing the Champions Classic. Yeah, it's never four in a row, man. It, it's still yeah. you take the trade off though. You're on that stage. Absolutely. Like, hey, the fact that Michigan State is there every year is a huge win, regardless. It's not like they're ever getting blown out of uh, right. that stage. So. And again, last year, you know, they lost, and they of those four teams, they were the only one playing on the final weekend. I, I'd hope for something similar this year. You'll take it. Uh, anything else jump at you from opening night? There were two scares with Michigan and Illinois giving up huge leads and uh, nearly uh, blowing their respective games. And then Wisconsin also losing St. Mary's on a neutral floor. Those were kind of the notables. Uh, anything from yeah. that cluster that, Man, that, that stood Illinois out? one. That Illinois <laughs> one. That, that could have been really, really bad for the league because Illinois is good enough to give a lot of teams problems and win, you know, at least 500 in, in conference play. And so if you lose to that team, you become the, oh, you lost to them. They lost to Nickel State. Like, right. You didn't need that, you know, whatsoever. Exactly right. Uh, the Michigan, I thought, looked interesting. You know, it's going to take a while for me to get used to with them. You know, before they were a a very efficient, slow-tempo kind of team and just, you know, get the best shot possible. They would run great sets and just get, you know, pretty much any good look they wanted. This was more of an NBA style, hey, look, if you get the ball and you get a good shot, take it. You know, whether it's one pass, zero passes, whatever the case may be. Uh, and I was flowing great until it wasn't. And right. then, you know, they go scoreless for eight minutes and a 30-point lead, you know, whittles down to two possessions. And you're like, hey, what's going on here? You know, the fact that Simpson had six turnovers, the fact that they had more turnovers last night than they had in any game last year. Oh, wow. You know, they're... You no, know, there are obviously some signs of concern, but, you know, that's to be expected. You know, year one, new head coach, new system. You know, it's going to take a while to work the kinks out. Didn't see much of the Wisconsin game except for overtime. Looked at the box score. I think it was like two bench points or something like that. Yeah. They're going to need to uh, get more out of their depth for sure. Um, Missed the opportunity there. Top 20 team. You had them on the ropes. Right. But with the uh, way the early season is structured – with all these Gavit games coming up and the Thanksgiving tournaments, there's going to be opportunities, I think, for marquee wins oh, for in sure. the conference. And Wisconsin's no exception there. Um, just looking down the schedule for the rest of the week, we don't have to get too deep in the, deep into it here, but there are some intriguing matchups. Um, we got Texas-Purdue. Could be fun. Want to see Ohio State. Ohio State-Cincinnati. Ohio State. Yeah, they got uh, high expectations as well coming in. Uh, Illinois, Arizona, you can kind of watch the bad taste of their mouth there if they can win that one. And don't 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 slip up at Grand Canyon. That's don't true. Sleep up. That's don't true. Slip like up. you saw Grand Canyon lost to D two Davenport Tuesday night, so that might alleviate some concerns. Right. But that that could potentially just make any loss look that much worse. So yeah, I don't think look. you're t- you're not taking anything for granted when you uh, almost let Nickel State beat you at home. So yeah. we'll, we'll see. Um, but yeah, how about uh? How about any of those other matchups? Anything anything stand out? I know you, what do you like about Ohio State and this matchup Wednesday night? Chris Holtman, man, he he's such a good coach. And, you know, the fact that he was able to get that team to the tournament a year ago, uh, you know, Wesson missed some time, you know, didn't really have a, a great point guard last year, and they still won the game. 
Uh, I just I just think he's really good, and now he's getting his guys in. He's got a really good recruiting class. You know, the fact that they're 18, like they might be a little underrated. So I'm curious to kind of see what they look like. And it's always good to have in-state matchups. You know, before last year, those teams hadn't played in forever. Right. And so it's always good to see, you know, teams like that play against each other. Yeah, and uh, it's a very pro Chris Holtman podcast. Ken Palm said that they're like buddies or something like that. Oh, okay. they, they go back to some uh, school or some connection that if listeners just probably heard it so that they'll be like, what is this guy talking about? He just said it. But uh, very pro Chris Holtman podcast. And I'll join that group because I love what he's done there. And I agree that I think it's a sustainable kind of machine he's building there, especially first two years you don't really have any expectations and he exceeds them for sure in first two. Uh, yeah, I mean, the fact that, you know, in year one, they were a game away from winning the league and had, you know, Big Ten player of the year when they were picked to be like 10th or 11th. Right. I mean, that dude can coach. Absolutely. All right, H, uh, I've asked a lot out of you today, covering a lot of teams, a lot of sports, and a lot of games, so I'll let you go. Uh, solid half hour with Bank today, and I'm sure there's much more to come. Should be a ton to talk about next week with all these gigantic matchups coming up yeah i mean we got a ton coming up i know we had you know a couple this week but like nationally it gets really real uh next week i think was like six ranked matchups so there's gonna be a lot of fun we're gonna learn a whole lot wasn't i complaining a few weeks ago how there was like no big games and college football yeah, season kind of dead it's coming you're right as always all right man see you next time sounds good man all right thanks once again to h and ken for joining me a lot of good stuff from both of them, as always with Harold, and um, you know, follow Ken Pomeroy's work. No surprise that he had a lot to bring to the table, and um, it's cool that he's a uh, you know, he's kind of a regular dude who loves college basketball. Who was uh, also happens to be really smart. So, fun episode to uh, to record. Hopefully, you had fun listening to it as well. Hopefully, everyone out there is uh, pacing themselves and enjoying this fun time of year with some high stakes football and the uh, you know, basketball season ramping up, especially with the holiday tournaments right around the corner. We have the Gavit Games against the Big East Conference next week. We have a lot to keep track of. Sit back and enjoy it. And hopefully stay locked on Take Ten Podcast every week as we'll continue to bring uh, high-quality guests and good content to you as we move along. All right, thanks once again to everyone for joining me. Please subscribe on podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Podbean, or uh, find the show on YouTube as well, and leave a positive comment, review, or rating if you like the show. And until next week, uh, I want to thank my producer, Julie Bronder, also Wes White. They always uh, do a great job putting the show together. And we will talk to you soon here on the Take Time Podcast.